0: you might wonder how a pastor would be interested in this kind of a subject. And years ago, as my son would say back in the day, right dad, back in the day, I was a geology major at UC Riverside. I've never lost my interest in science and it's amazing to me and it's amazing how the Lord leads that years later, I find myself dealing with the things that actually caused me to lose some interest and some enthusiasm about science way back when, the same issues. I'm looking at it a little differently now, and uh, how interesting to be in a church where these sorts of things are, shall we say, critical and key, and so it is fun to be here to talk about these things today. I'm going to share with you, first of all, when I talk to uh, some people about I'm going to talk about the local church, they say, well, it's central to the worldwide church, and I guess that is true, and so let's think about our mission in terms of being a local branch of a worldwide movement. Let's take a look at a verse that Seventh-day Adventists have long identified with and understood to be their mission in this world today. And I'm gonna give you a little bit of a twist, perhaps in ways you haven't seen this verse before. Three angels' messages, of course, Revelation 14. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on earth. The everlasting gospel, we have a tendency to correctly say, it is the central theme of all Christianity. Jesus died for our sins and so forth. But it goes on to say, saying with a loud voice what that everlasting gospel in our particular present truth mode, shall we say, is. It says, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of waters. Now obviously we focus a lot on fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come, We think about the investigative gate of judgment and we think of those kinds of things correctly as being a significant part of this message. But I'd like to suggest to you that this this judgment hour message also has some connotations as it has to do with Genesis. And let's take a look at some of the references now in this verse. And it says, and worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea. Now where is that from? Where are those phrases found in that same, pardon me? It's in the fourth commandment, correct, it's in the fourth commandment, those three phrases together. And as Seventh-day Adventists, Seventh-day Adventists, we rightly assume that's a reference to and an intention to, shall we say, proclaim the significance of the fourth commandment, the Sabbath commandment. Come back to God and worship Him, but understand it's in the context of a judgment hour message. And again, our tendency is to think, well, let's just stick with investigative judgment and leave it there. I'd like to suggest to you that there's more to a judgment hour message than simply that. And that is a reference, shall we say, to the last phrase that you probably haven't heard talked too much about. And that is, and the springs of waters. Worship him who made heaven and earth the sea and the springs of waters. Now, what is the springs of water a reference to? And why not have... Something totally different like uh, he made the heaven and earth, the sea and kitty cats or something else uh, just to throw in there and make a nice round four. Why the reference to the springs of water? The springs of water is a reference to the flood. Now think about the springs of water, fountains of water, however you want to interpret this language, this is a reference to the flood. And if it is a reference to the flood it makes total sense that a, a judgment hour message would go forth with a loud voice about get ready to meet God, fear Him and give Him glory, get your act together, come to be uh, 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 reunited with and, and have everything made right with this God who made everything and who has previously judged things in a worldwide judge judgment. And if He has done a worldwide judgment, He may well do it again. Now think about the ramifications for this. If we have a tendency to go with a mythical understanding of the flood or some kind of local flood or a rising of the creek or something in Iraq or something like that, think about how it loses significance in terms of it being an illustration of a worldwide uh, judgment or worldwide executive judgment or in other words God coming to step into earth's history. The idea here is, therefore, take God seriously because he's done it before and he's about ready to do it again. It's a judgment hour message. So take it seriously. Now, if it's a call to worship the God of Genesis, that's not just the creator but also the judge, the God who created and the God who judged, well then, let's think about this. If this is a message of the worldwide church, it should certainly be part of the work and the mission of the local church. And some of us out there in the field have been kind of complaining and griping and you know, trying to motivate uh, uh, denominational leaders to give more information because frankly I think we need to have better education on a local church level for pastors and, and for ministries and for lay leaders so they can share with people in the community, with other Christians, with people who are secular in mind uh, that there is good evidence for a God who created and a God who judged. Now we in Moscow, Idaho, as as, uh, has been mentioned, in an academic community, University of Idaho is right there across the street from the University of Idaho. We had an Origins seminar or series of talks, seven lectures, and we were able to attract 200 people there to this series of meetings. They stayed for all seven lectures. Most of them were visitors. And I'd like to suggest to you that the world is very curious about the subject of origins right now. It is prime time. And I don't mean just with the 200th anniversary of Darwin's birth and, and all those things going on. There's constantly being discoveries in science, new things found that have been purported to be now supportive. This finally settles evolution. but. Not really, if you take a look at the data, and people still have questions. And in the United States and in other parts of the world, there's still a significant number of people who have questions about the popular view of evolution. So let's, let's see. So what is present truth? Present truth in Noah's day, we might say that the gospel in Noah's day was basically something like this. God is about ready to judge the world. It's a judgment hour message. And God is providing an ark. You should all get into the ark. That was the present truth. The present truth, that's the gospel in Noah's day. It was good news. God is going to fix what is broken in the world. He's going to take care of the corruption. He's going to take care of the violence that filled the world, both in the animal and in the human world. And the good news is he's got a way out for you. Be sure to take advantage of that. Get on the ark. That was the present uh, present truth for that day. We might say, okay, in light of Revelation 14, what's the present truth for us today? Jesus said there's some similarities as it was in the days of Noah. So what is is the present truth for today? To me it is prepare yourself to meet God. Prepare yourself for a judgment that's about ready to frankly end the world. And just like water ended the world before, God is now going to use the second cleansing agent of fire to clean the world, shall we say, and take care of what is broken. So, what is the present truth? Respond to the gospel, the good news, that God is about ready to finish this planet. And that's good news. Think about all the things that we see on the news it's about ready to have, you know, to be a fading memory. That sounds good to me. Oil spills, (laughs) terrorism, uh, uh, disease, everything is about ready to go. And that, that is part of the everlasting gospel or good news of this judgment hour message. God's about ready to fix what is broken. So, respond to it. If you think about it, really what we're talking about today in terms of the great worldviews that are often talked about in these discussions, one simply, you could really boil it down to two basic worldviews. One is that we are here from, uh, from intelligent design forces, a god, whatever you want to call it, we're not here by accident. And we're not here from random forces. The other is we are here from random forces or undirected Uh, means, and and this is what we are. We're here without purpose and without much of a future. And really, those two worldviews could not possibly be more in conflict with each other. Uh, You might see a third pair of glasses here, somewhere in the middle, of people trying to reconcile these two different views to try to have a high view of popular science, a high view of scripture, put them together, and it is extremely difficult uh, to do. Um, And... uh, Sadly for those people, the ones that are in the middle probably catch it from both sides. <laughs> uh, unhappy critique. When you get a church that uh, accepts Charles Darwin, I think about the church that my family came from, and that is the Church of England. My great-grandfather was a very active member in London, uh, London, England, back in the 1880s. And in 1890, somebody came to his house with some uh, messages about uh, local evangelistic series going on he became a charter member of the North London Seventh-day Adventist Church back in the 1890s but about eight years after Darwin was buried in a church that he worked in and that was Westminster Abbey. Now Darwin did not wish to be particularly buried in Westminster Abbey but some friends of his uh, moved the church to make it possible for him to be buried in Westminster Abbey and I'd like to suggest to you today that any church that buries Darwin in its floor (laughs) or allows Darwin in like this tends to be empty after a few years. Uh, Virtually every mainline denominational church uh, that has accepted evolution as part of its understanding for origin has declined with the possible exception of the Roman Catholic Church. But virtually every other denomination that has uh, basically uh, mythed or made uh, into a myth the Genesis account has seen a spiritual and a numerical decline. This is absolutely unarguable. And so to the extent, uh, you know, just like uh, Paul McCartney said, uh, Father McKenzie preaches a sermon that no one hears. No one comes near. And that is the spiritual condition of uh, the Church of England, where my family is originally from. And that, I hope, we can avoid. So the local church should be a place where we understand where we came from with a high view of the Bible, and we will thus be fulfilling our mission from God and hopefully not go down the route that other churches have gone. However, having said that, we can anticipate problems. It says, scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust, saying, where is the promise of his coming? Now, who are they scoffing at? These scoffers in the last days will be scoffing at people who talk about Jesus' second coming. It uh, sounds to me like maybe directed toward Adventists, or at least people who have an Adventist theology, and that they're talking about it and getting this critique back. Notice the argument against the idea of a second Advent. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Now, the suggestion is there sort of a uniformitarian, gradual, basically an, a, a history of the planet that did not have an active God stepping into its history a godless history of the planet. And so they're joking at the idea that God would have a second coming, a, a judgment that where God would step into the history of the planet so vividly and so uh, uh, intensely like that. He hadn't done it before, they scoff. Now notice going on, notice what uh, 2 Peter says about this, that for this they willfully forget, the scoffers forget this that by the word of God the heavens were of old, that is, they they scoff at the idea that God will step into the future history, they willfully forget the creation account, and that the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. So they willfully forget the flood as well. So they ignore the evidence, The word of God evidence and perhaps other evidence that the creation was literal. They also scoff at the idea that the flood ever took place. And they will be aiming their scoffing at people who talk about the second advent of Christ. And incidentally, to me, it is a logical argument they make. It's a logical argument. If you don't believe God has stepped into the history of this planet as vividly as a worldwide flood in a judgment scene like that, what would be the evidence that he would do it again? However, if he has done it before, you can take more seriously the threat that he's about to do it again. I think that makes perfect sense to me. So that is the issue for the church today, the local church, local church and the worldwide church as well. To me, these are the issues that we're facing locally and as a world church. Locally, um, I have found in a University of Idaho community that people, as I mentioned, are very interested in the idea of origins. I wish there were more materials, but we're working constantly. Geoscience and other uh, institutions are working to improve our materials. I'm kind of personally a little worried that often our church members go outside uh, the church to look for materials from other sources that often don't have quite the same theological views we do and some of the same understandings of the history of the universe, let's say, that we do. And sometimes that kind of muddies, shall we say, our mission and and our message. Remember that Revelation 14 says that the message, the, the everlasting gospel, goes out with what kind of voice? A loud voice, a megaphone, a loud voice. And so, to me, the Seventh Day Adventist Church has been raised for just this time, in this, in this moment in history, to talk about what we are—the great truths of creation, the great truths of the flood—and with that, with that as a central theme. Also talk about the Sabbath, come back to God and honor him as the creator and the most basic of relationships we have with God, and that is creature to creator. And once that is in place, everything else tends to fall in place. But when all of those things are put together in a complete message, to me that is the message of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in the last days. We ought to be cutting edge in terms of creation evolution issues, in my opinion. We ought to be the ones carrying the banners highest. We should be the ones speaking with a Megaphone, a loud voice, without any hesitations, without any gray areas. Let's go for it. And we will be fairly unique in the world, fairly unique among the major denominations. Um, But hopefully we won't be seeing empty churches when Darwin comes to church. So uh, there seems to be that kind of connection anyway, I think. So hopefully we can continue to do that. Now, in the local church, there are several things you can do. Uh, there are videos out there. There are programs that you can run and have a, uh, discussion groups afterwards. Trust me, many, in many places, in many situations, an origins-oriented program will get people uh, to come and hear what you have to say. Don't necessarily do it in the church. Do it in a, in a, in a uh, neutral venue. Often is the best place to do it. Uh, from that, you can go to prophecy and so forth because many things do have connotations. Genesis, all the things in the book of Genesis end, or you know how they turn out in Revelation. We are, tend to be people of the book of Revelation. I'd like to see us to be people of the book of Genesis as well. And, um, and, and that, that's kind of an interesting thing. Now, Laodicea, remember we're all Laodicea, right? That period in church history. It's interesting that Jesus is... Identified as the Creator in that introduction to the Word uh, to that Laodicean Church that we're living in, the only part, only of the the only of the seven churches where the emphasis is on Jesus as Creator, as though that's got a ring for those of us living in these last days. Christ is to be central, but the Book of Revelation is about Jesus Christ, and so we're calling people of the world to take a look at Jesus as the great creator. He is the God who moved upon us in Genesis.